0: you've got Jane Austen who is writing from her particular cultural setting in the 18th century. You and I through our imaginations are actually going back in time and experiencing her language, her culture, her customs, her manners, and any film director and actors in the modern age, simply by virtue of the new technology they're using, are going to distort that. Faith and Culture, a production of the Augustine Institute. Every week, we explore the glory of the Catholic faith and the beauty of Catholic culture. And now, here's the host of Faith and Culture, Joseph Pierce.
1: Hello, I'm Joseph Pierce and welcome to another Faith and Culture podcast of the Augustine Institute and I'm delighted to have as my guest today, my good friend, Father Dwight Longenecker. Father Dwight, welcome. Thank you. And for those of our listeners that don't know what you do because you do an awful lot, um, perhaps you could just give us a quick summary of, uh, of, of what it is you're doing out there. Well, I was brought up
0: here in America, in in Pennsylvania, in an evangelical home, and after high school went to Bob Jones University, which is n- not known as a Catholic. And, but while I was there, I became an Anglican and wanted to train for the Anglican ministry. So was blessed to be able to go to Oxford and prepare for the ministry in the Church of England. I served as a priest in the Church of England for about 15 or 20 years uh, before becoming a Catholic. And my degree at Bob Jones was in speech and English, so I was very uh, involved in drama and uh, in speech. Uh, in public speaking, uh, and also in in literature with uh, the great English poets and English writers. So all that I do now with my writing and with my priesthood and apologetics and theological work is coming at it from that angle of... Literature, language, uh, speech, and communications, uh, and
1: I guess that's one of the one of the gifts I bring to it, uh, in coming to, to all this from a, a fresh perspective. Yes, indeed. I mean, I, I see that you and I, if you like, is not not just kindred spirits, but actually working on the same battlefield in the culture war, so to speak, uh, in in what I call cultural apologetics or evangelizing through the power of beauty. And so um, you're a natural guest to have on the Faith and Culture podcast, uh, because we do have so much in common. And I, I'd like to discuss today with you a, a topic which we do have in common, and, and that's uh, our concern or our interest in the impact of the screen on reading. Um, would you like to say something about that? Yeah, you know, we, we
0: kind of take it for granted now, but everywhere we go, every, the screen is everywhere. We, we have our noses stuck in the screen all the time. I do. Uh, as a writer, I use my, my laptop and my, my big screen to, to, to on all, like hours every day. And, and then there's the cell phone. You go into a public space, everybody's got the nose stuck into the cell phone, taking pictures and texting and, and using it for all these wonderful things. And then on the wall, there's there's great big screens in, in all of the bars of, of showing CNN or Fox News or sports or whatever. And it's almost like Big Brother, you know, the, right. this constant... Um, presence of the screen, which we take for granted. And we can't turn it off a lot of times. You're right. And uh, so in, in a public space, it's all—it's always there. And this is therefore having a huge impact on the way we receive knowledge and we receive information and we communicate. And that revolution which is taking place uh, has all sorts of ramifications for writing and for literature. Um, and I think it's really as as revolutionary as the the invention of movable type. the 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 transformation in the way we're communicating is really enormous. Let me give you one little short illustration. I was talking with my son, uh, Elias, about all of this, and I said, you know, I'm increasingly impatient with fiction. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's all that description. You know, someone the writer says, um, Ian uh, walked through the 16th century doorway into the crofter's cottage and threw off his tweed jacket which was steaming from the bitter air outside onto the divan which was burning in front of the peat fire and he turned to his wife and my son
1: said yeah in a movie you see all of that in about two seconds Yes, you do, but you do, but do you? I mean, do you actually get the smell of the tweed jacket? Do you get the steam coming off from uh, from the the fire warming the jacket up? Do you get those scents? You don't get any scents at all. I mean, S C E N T S. You get no sense of that. Those sorts of scents. I mean, you can get that in a in the written word. It's completely invisible because it's absent in the screen. Yes, in fact, I think in the
0: early days of Hollywood, when when um television started up, they, they experimented with something which was called smell-o-vision. <laughs> and and they, they actually tried to infuse the scents, the, uh, the, the, the fragrances and stuff and smells from what you were seeing on screen. It was a big flop. But... Um, yeah, you're you're getting onto this aspect of the involvement of the reader's imagination,
1: right? I mean, you you used you used a word, you know, a word we always use, uh, thoughtlessly, like most words. But when you were talking about the impact of the screen, you, and, and you're talking about uh, people with the noses in, in their cell phones, you know, and we we do all texting and all sorts of wonderful things. And I was thinking, well, how much of it is actually full of wonder? Very little of it is full of wonder, right? And and you know, as in wonderful. And I think that's part of the problem. I think it's all surface level. It's all distracting. It's not actually taking us deep into any level of contemplation. So, to what extent do you think that, on the assumption you believe that to be true, do you think that that uh, is a negative aspect of modern culture? And what, if anything, can we do about it? Well, one of the things that the screen. Um,
0: is bad about this green culture is that it actually um, deadens the imagination so for instance when when you read uh, we both love tolkien and lord of the rings so when you read lord of the rings and i read lord of the rings you imagine middle earth according to your life experience now Tolkien has communicated his vision of Middle Earth to you best he can, but you have to interpret what is an Ent, a talking, walking tree. Right. You interpret that and you imagine that within your experience, and so there's this really unique chemistry going
1: between you and the text. Yes, you and the author, because there's actually your imagination is actually engaged and proactive, right? Which it certainly isn't when you're passively looking at what a film director is showing you, right? And exactly. So when I look at Peter Jackson's um, version of Lord of the Rings, I love
0: it, but from now on, an ant is going to be the ant that I
1: saw on the big screen.
0: It's not going to be my own
1: ant. Which is a pity, because the, the ant that, that Tolkien depicts to us in Lord of the Rings has much more gravitas than the levitas. In other words, the, the light relief that the, the ants are really used for in Peter Jackson's film. Right.
0: And so something has happened there, in which, if you, if you want to be extreme about it, Peter Jackson has hijacked Tolkien and hijacked me right. and hijacked you and said
1: you will have this version of Middle Earth right. and that's it forever. Which is why I always insist, and I know that you do too, that uh, if, if, uh, if a great work of literature, you must insist that people should read it before they watch the movie adaptation of it, because at least you have some defences, because you already have your own imaginative images in place from your reading of it, which can at least counter or contradict what the the film does to you. But if um, if you watch the movie first and then try to read the book. You, it's going to be impossible not to see the visual images that would have been shown to you presented to you on the screen.
0: That's right. There's also another re- thing which really interests me about this uh, when it comes to historical works. Um, if you take Jane Austen, for instance, you've got Jane Austen who is writing from her particular cultural setting and historical setting uh, in the 18th century, and she is writing from that from that time period to you and to me. And there's that immediacy in which you and I, through our imaginations, are actually going back in time and experiencing her language, her culture, her customs, her manners, and all the rest. And any film director and actors in the modern age, simply by virtue of the new technology they're using, are going to distort that. Right. Even though they're trying very, very faithfully to be... um, Which normally they're not, actually. ...to be authentic, (laughs) they can't help but bring their own preconceptions and their own biases and their own prejudices into the work.
1: And often these days, they're not even trying to actually be true to the work. They're they're actually doing things to it on purpose for agenda-driven reasons. Yeah. And I find it actually not just a violation, I actually find it violent in terms of what it does to my... Uh, imagination and to my sensibility my sense and sensibility as we we're talking about uh, Jane Austen in other words the pride and prejudice of the director really does impact the sense and sensibility of the viewer
0: it, it, it does and if you think of the way the two or uh, two other um, um, adaptations for the for the screen of a great work is are the two versions of uh, Evelyn Wall's uh, Brideshead Revisited right. the Uh, Granada TV version from the 1970s, I guess, early 1980s. Early 80s, yeah. yeah. What was, I think, really one of the best adaptations to the screen that I've ever seen. Yes, I agree. But the film version, which came out, I guess, about five or six years ago. Yes, fairly recently. uh, With Emma Thompson and some others,
1: was terrible.
0: Yes. Because it was agenda-driven and it was was, uh, a distortion of Wall's work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've watched the, the British TV uh, dramatization, which is about 10 or 11 hours long and absolutely delightful with great Shakespearean actors like Sir Olivier and Sir John Gilgood uh, Anthony Andrews and Jeremy Irons and all these wonderful actors uh, many times. And I, I do actually cite it as the, Best adaptation of a work of literature I've ever seen uh, on film, um, but then recent I, I refused to watch the recent Hollywood version, knowing that it was <laughs> uh, what I'd heard no. about it. And no. I found myself in a hotel room, skipping through the channels on the remote as one does when one gets back from a speaking engagement and one is not ready to go to bed. And I just happened to come across that film exactly at Lord Marshmaine's death scene, which is my favorite scene right. in the whole book and one of the greatest things in all literature. And the focus was not on Lord Marshmaine at all, let alone the priest or the sacrament. It was on the tension between Julia and Charles. So right. it, was, it was not about religion. It was not about him. And it's purely... And that director actually said, you, obviously you've got me on a, on, 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 a <laughs> on a raw nerve here. The director of that, that film adaptation said that in his version, God was the enemy. right. I can see that. Uh, you know, but another aspect of this um, interface
0: between the screen and the um, and the written word, which, which interests me, is not so much between the screen and the written word, but also going back to the earliest forms of verbal communication. You know, writing came after speaking. Right. And, and there was storytelling and relating uh, verbally before written language. And, of course, uh, the printing press is... A much much later invention and the novel uh, or short story telling a story in a written form which takes the immediacy of storytelling and, 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 and breaks it down into two or three other sort of intermediary steps is a development of storytelling which has its own it has its own worth but the good thing about the screen is and this, this would apply to podcasts as well, is that you, we can return to an, the immediacy of storytelling um, through podcast and through you know, straight-to-camera screen communications, which does have an immediacy that the, the written word does not have. Uh, so, for instance, um, there's some interesting podcasts that are being developed which are similar to the old radio dramas. Right. Okay. Where people are right. doing drama through uh, audio, that still engages the the imagination. Yes. Uh, I've done on my website and 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 elsewhere the true fairy tales, doing some storytelling through podcasts,
1: which does engage the imagination. So, it's not quite as simple as saying no, the screen is bad. I mean, the Augustine Institute has a reputation, of course, for producing some wonderful audio dramas mm-hmm. uh, using some well-known you know, internationally known actors to actually play play the characters no, I, 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 indeed and that the thing about that of course but it's audio and it, yeah we talked about the screen I mean can we talk about these imaginative audio things as being uh, as synonymous with the screen, I don't think we can. I think when well, when, when uh, you have to listen, you have to engage your attention. And I would also say, up to a point, if it's the written word and it's about and it's something which is fictional or not or poetic and not nonfiction, you also have to engage your imagination. Whereas you're watching a movie, you you can be almost zoned out and taken as much as you want. Yeah, I agree. Watching a movie is going to destroy the imagination. One, of,
0: what there is one other version of this communication which could actually still engage the imagination with some immediacy and be the screen. And that would be a storyteller um, telling the story directly to camera, which then goes across as a story. It's right. a video of a storyteller. Yes. It's, it's, but it's not a portrayal of the story on screen like Yeah, like, And it, like insofar
1: as the screen succeeds in that, of course, it's wonderful. But you and I sort of also know that, um, that an adaptation of a, of a, of a play is not going to have the immediacy of actually seeing the play and i know when i was in england i used to go to folk music nights in pubs right and you'd have the folk music and again you're being there in a small room with the singers playing their their guitars and then in between you'd have the occasional storyteller that would get up and just tell a story that's what they were doing in the folk night and there was something uh immediate and engaging about that which is not is very different from watching something on the TV. Well, maybe we can we can wind this up by saying that the the screen uh,
0: and podcasting, but the screen, since we're talking about that, does actually give us um, some new opportunities to do some really creative stuff. So. Uh, because everybody can make a a video now everybody can make a film you can do it with your laptop you know Uh, and so the immediacy of of direct storytelling and so forth can actually be very important also in sharing the faith Um, one of the podcasts that i do which but could also be done on on screen is called stories of the unexpected where i simply tell faith stories and stories of the paranormal and the supernatural and how that interacts with faith well you could do that straight to the screen and and have the immediacy of storytelling and some of that chemistry that you have uh, through that kind of communication. Right, so I, maybe we have to, we ought to see it as, as as seeing some opening up some, some some new possibilities.
1: And I certainly do agree that it is a challenge uh, for the new evangelization to use new technology in a manner that's going to bring souls to Christ. We can't just you know wring our hands in despair and say, wasn't it much much better in 1422? I mean that's not right. that's we, we can't do that. So obviously. Finding imaginative ways of using new technology is something which we're called to do, and I, and you actually, uh, Father Dwight, uh, are an expert at that with your own uh, your own blog and the podcast that you do on your website. Are, are if you like blazing a trail for many other people should be doing. And I would actually recommend um, that people do check out your, your website. As we, as we move towards a conclusion here, would you like to give people information as to what your website is, how they can actually connect with you? Well, the website is a place for me to, to write my blog posts, but uh, about a year ago, I began, or a year and a half ago,
0: I began also doing some podcasts with a mind to this, uh, the, medi- the immediacy of that, and that so many people can listen to this in the car when they're taking the dog for a walk or whatever, and have, uh, therefore, branched off in, in the podcast. A lot of people podcasts are really this. You know, there's an interview and there's a chat with somebody, and where they talk about something that they're interested in. Uh, and I've done some stuff which is different, I guess, based on my speech background. For instance, I have a series of um, that's called characters of the Reformation. I simply took Hilaire Belloc's famous book, uh, I, I cut and abridged it and, and, and shortened the versions and, and the chapters and cut out a couple of the chapters to make it a little bit more immediate and simply re- read it in what I think must have been a Balochian type voice. Um, somewhat belligerent and somewhat sort of Balochian Bel- mm- be- bellicosity. bellicose like Belloc, <laughs> that's right. And so and so the actor in me brought that out and I, I read it in a bit of that, that kind, of, kind of a voice and I'm doing some other stuff like that which is an interface with drama and some great works which
1: i think are it's it's an exciting way to to bring some of this fiction alive well thank you father dwight as always it's a joy to have you as a guest on the faith and culture podcast i hope we can have you back soon and uh, this has been joseph pierce your host for this faith and culture podcast do please join me next time until then goodbye and god bless
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Faith and Culture with Joseph Pierce. Faith and Culture is a production of the Augustine Institute. For more information, please visit us at faithandculture.com.